Christian joy is an inner delight. It's an inner gladness. It's it's a jubilation. It's a happiness in my soul, a gladness in my soul, even when everything around me is just falling apart. Circumstances aren't leading me to be happy. I'm still feeling jubilation and gladness in my heart. I'm still feeling that happiness in my heart because joy is that feeling like happiness that's not produced by circumstances, but by something else. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. If you're our guest, we're using the Advent wreath this, uh, this Christmas season to help us hang our thoughts on. As, uh, as we celebrate Christmas. And uh, the Advent wreath was made up of four, possibly five candles. We talked about all that the first Sunday. And the first, the first candle, or the first Sunday of Advent, is known as, uh, that's the prophet's candle. And, uh, and it points us to the hope that Jesus was coming. And we talked about the fact that Jesus was coming again. And it pointed us to the hope that, uh, that Jesus would come again. And then the second candle last week was the Bethlehem candle, and it points us to the peace that, that God gives us in our lives. And we talked about the peace of God last week, and the word, if you were here, the word for peace in, in Hebrew is the word shalom, and we'll mention it some this morning. And the third week of Advent, the third candle, is known as the shepherd's candle, and it, uh, it points us to joy. It points us to joy. It's called the joy candle. I, I don't know what the creators of the Advent wreath had in mind when, uh, when they came up with this idea, but they might have been thinking about this passage in Luke. Luke 2, just listen, it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. Maybe that's why. They call this the uh, shepherd's candle, and they highlight joy. I proclaim to you gr- good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And you'll find, and this will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped tightly in claws and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts, other angels with that angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, uh, highest heaven and peace on earth uh, to people he favors. So they, uh, they left immediately, evidently. At least that seems what happened. They left immediately and, and, and went to find Mary and Joseph. And when they found them, they found them just as the angel said. And they, and they told Mary and Joseph everything that had happened to them. And, and Mary, it says, Mary pondered uh, these things in her heart. Christmas was a moment of great joy. And it's a message of great joy. And I think if there's a single word that, should, that kind of captures the essence of the season, I think we'd have to say it's the word joy. 
And so many of our Christmas carols, I don't know if you realize this, but so many of our Christmas carols, they focus on joy. We sang joy uh, to the world, the Lord has come. But oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and trembling. Did we sing that? I think that we might have sang that today too. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies and with the angels proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. So uh, I, I think, We all get the picture. Christmas was meant to bring us joy. But now here's the question for us this morning. What exactly is joy? What exactly is joy? And uh, I'm sorry about that. We've tried to figure out what's causing that. I don't know what's causing it, but uh, we'll have to deal with it. Uh, I I feel an angst in trying to define joy. You know why? Because I I, I don't think happiness and joy are a one-on-one comparison. I don't think they're one-on-one the same happiness and joy. But at the same time, I think joy has an element of happiness in it. They're, they're somewhat related. And so here's how I've always uh, distinguished them in the past. I've said happiness is that feeling of exuberance and excitement and pleasure that results from very positive circumstances happening in our lives. Not too long ago, I burned the engine up in my Camry. I tell you, I wasn't happy at all. I didn't have any positive feelings of exuberance or pleasure, right? But a year ago, the Redskins beat the Eagles, and I'm telling you, I mean, there was so much happiness where I was with my nephews and, uh, and my great-nephews. I mean, it was, and it was such a rare thing, James. There was so much happiness that way. But, but joy, however we end up defining it, and Michael said this in, in, in his prayer, one of the things he was saying, it, it's... Happiness is tied to our circumstances, right? When, when we have great circumstances, we feel really happy. And I've often said that the difference between happiness and, and joy would be this, that abiding sense of well-being. You know, if you've got this abiding sense of well-being, that's what joy is. And you can have that in the direst of circumstances. And I would point to Horatio Spafford's uh, song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I would say that's a definition of joy. It is, it is well with my soul, even in the, in the most terrible circumstances of life. The problem with that, and I don't necessarily believe that it's wrong, but if you were here last week, doesn't that sound just like the definition of, of shalom? You know, shalom, as, as Tim Mackey and the Bible Project guys were telling us, you know, the definition of shalom, and, and they showed us how in context, like they put the last brick in the temple and, and shalom was there because it was now complete. Or he, he had a picture of a garden with all the trees and the houses and there was shalom because everything was there in its order. And, and so shalom speaks of this sense of completeness or wellness. Well, how is that different than joy. How is inner peace, how is inner shalom different than joy? And so I want you to know, I spent a lot of time meditating on that this week. What's the difference between shalom and, and joy? I even, I even wrote a bunch of pastor friends of mine and then said, hey guys, what would you say is the difference between with peace and, and shalom, I mean, uh, shalom and, and joy? And uh, a couple of them answered me, but I, I just, I found their answers unsatisfactory. I felt like they weren't even dealing with the issue that I was asking. What, what does joy feel like on the inside? How is that different than, than peace on the inside, right? And uh, so I kept looking and, and I found something that really just spoke to my heart and we'll see if you agree with this. But I would say the differences between peace and joy 
would be the manifestations of what we feel in our heart as a result of the peace of God, or the shalom of God, and the, and the joy of God that he's given us. Let me see if I can explain. So Christian peace, I would say, is the internal, uh, it's, it's, it's an internal thing, but it's a sense of tranquility and calmness and well-being. It's a deep sense of rest and security on the inside, even when everything around you is just falling apart and everything around you is just turmoil. But on the inside, there's a sense of calmness, of, of serenity, that because God is with you, because God has saved you, because God has made you promises that he's not going to leave you, there can be a sense of calmness and peace on the inside. I didn't want to use the word peace. A, a, a sense of, of tranquility on the inside, even when outside everything's turmoil and turmoil. But here's how I think that Christian joy would differ from that. Christian joy is an inner delight, it's an inner gladness. It's a, it's a jubilation. Let me, let me even use the word happiness, right? It's a happiness in my soul, a gladness in my soul, even when everything around me is just falling apart. Circumstances aren't leading me to be happy. I'm still feeling jubilation and gladness in my heart. I'm still feeling that happiness in my heart because joy is that feeling like happiness that's not produced by circumstances, but by something else. I remember hearing a message, and, and, I, and I tried to find the message. I mean, this is by a really great preacher. I can't remember who it was. I probably shouldn't even use it as an illustration. But I remember he challenged me because he was basically saying, you know, we try to distinguish joy and happiness like they're two separate different things. And he was saying happiness and, and joy are really intertwined. And I think they are emotionally, this is the conclusion I've come to, that they are, they are intertwined emotionally so that the feelings of joy, the gladness, the contentment is like the happiness that I might feel from uh, circumstances, but it's not produced by circumstances. In fact, I can have peace and joy even when circumstances around me, like I've already said, are just falling apart. I can have this sense of joy. And so in the, in the passage I read to you earlier this morning, the metaphor of the vine and the branches, that's what we're going to use this morning. We're going to use one verse primarily uh, to talk about this joy. And it's verse 11. You got your Bibles open? Turn, them to, turn back to John chapter 15. And look at verse 11. And I'm, I'm using the CSB, at least for most of this. I'm using the CSB, which is a Christian standard Bible. And in verse 11, it says, I have, just as Jesus speaking, he's talking to his men. He says, I, his disciples, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So if just for this talk anyway, you'll, you'll agree with me or you'll just accept it as so that joy is, is more than just the feeling of, of completeness or being at peace. Joy is these feelings of dare I say happiness, these feelings of gladness, these feelings of jubilation in my heart, right? That, uh, that, that's, what we're, that's how we're defining joy. And Jesus says, you know, I've told you these things so that my joy, my, my feelings of happiness may be in you and your joy may be complete. And I'm going to use four questions to, uh, I'm going to use four questions to help us this verse about joy. So here's the first question I'm asking the text. First, where does joy 
come from? Where does this joy that Jesus is talking about, where does it come from? Well, according to the text, we experience this joy because it's the joy that Jesus gives us. It's the feelings of gladness and exuberance that he gives us. He says, I, I is my joy. I've told you, my joy may be in you. So the joy that I'm talking about, that's not produced by circumstances, but is still nonetheless this feeling of happiness or, or content or, 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 or gladness. I mean, it's, it's the joy that Jesus has given me. Joy is a gift. Jesus is giving it to me. God is giving it to me. It's one of the character gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? He gives us joy. So every child of God in this room and every child of God listening to us on the, on the live stream ought to have evident joy. It ought to be showing up in our life. It ought to be noticeable and visible. And every child of God ought to have a contagious joy about them. Because joy is the promise that Jesus says he's giving to us. And it's his joy. And I would say this to you. Listen, if you're not living a life of joy, you're living way beneath the privileges that God has given to you. If you're not experiencing joy in your life, and you're not, you're not fe- having those feelings of happiness in your life, not related to circumstances, if you're not having them, then you're living somewhere below where God wants you to live. Can I tell you something else? People, people far from God, you know, they're not really thinking about our doctrine. I tell you, once you come to Jesus, man, truth matters to you. And you begin to try to search out what is true, right? But people far from God right now, especially in our day and age where they, you know, truth is relative. And what's true for me, it doesn't matter. As long as it's true for me, that's a, anyway, they're not really caring much about our truth. They're not really caring much about our traditions either. You know, we're, we're having a Christmas Eve Eve service, right? Because that's one of our traditions, and we love it, and, and, and people love that. So we're going to have a Christmas Eve. You know, people, they don't care about a Christmas Eve service if they're far from God. They don't care about our traditions. They don't care about our organization. But I, can I tell you something? They are drawn. They are drawn to you if you are filled with joy. They are drawn to you if you are filled. Gloom and doom and negativity, they repel all of us. They repel all of us, and they repel unbelievers. Like, I don't know how magnets work, but you know, you take a magnet, and if you got them right, boom, they come together, right? But if you got them wrong, they're like, you can't put them together. They're pushing away, right? Negativity and the lack of joy in our life, I think, repels people that are far from God. I'll tell you something else. It repels believers from believers if I'm not walking in the joy of the Lord, but I'm walking in negativity and and criticalness and harshness. I'm not wrong about what I'm about to tell you, but Jesus was an attractive man. Okay, Not because he was buff. Did you hear that, Amy? Baird? Not because he's buff. Jesus was not a particularly good-looking man. And please don't be offended for him. And the reason I say that is because Isaiah says, if Isaiah 53 is about him, and we all believe it is, says he had no stately form that we were drawn to him. He was not a King Saul who stood at six foot five or seven feet built and buff, right? I mean, we, we were drawn to Jesus because of how he, how he looked. However, I will tell you this, people were drawn to Jesus. And why were they drawn to Jesus? I'm going to suggest at least one of the reasons was he was filled with joy. 
So the author of Hebrews talks about this. The author of Hebrews says of the Lord Jesus, God has anointed him, Jesus, with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Hebrews 1.9. He was filled with the joy of, of God so much that he was more than the people around him. I mean, they looked at it and there was something joyous about Jesus and it drew people to them. And in the same way, when you and I have the joy of Jesus and we're, and we're allowing his joy to just flow from our lives, regardless of circumstances, because he's given it to us. When that happens, people are going to be drawn to us. Years ago, they took the gospel of Matthew and they made it into a video. They made it into a movie. And uh, some of you will remember, it had a kind of a short Jesus. I don't, I don't picture Jesus as short, but Jesus is kind of short in this thing. But the thing that stood out about this Jesus was, I mean, from beginning to end, the guy was just smiling. <laughs> so it became known as the smiley, he became known as the smiley Jesus. Man, I don't know if Jesus smiled all the time. I bet he smiled a lot. I just do. I bet he smiled a lot. But he, I don't know if he's smiling all the time, but he was a man with joy. People think that joy comes from money, right? Happiness comes from money. And while you have it, or even if you have it for a long period of time, you might have moments of happiness that comes from, from money. But um, it's not the joy that we're talking about here. It's the joy we're talking about here. Jesus gives it to you, okay? It didn't come by circumstances. People think it comes from pleasure or fame. And again, happiness can come from some of those things, right? Um, some people think that joy comes from, or, or happiness comes from casting God off, right? But Voltaire, who's probably one of the most famous atheists of, of, of Western Civ anyway, Voltaire, when he, he died, he said, I wish I'd never been born. So I'm telling you, many Western people today think that happiness comes when they cast God off, right? Uh, none of those things bring, they might be happiness for a moment, but, but they don't bring the kind of joy that we're talking about. It's fleeting, it's passing, all right? It's passing. The joy that we're talking about here is the joy that God gives us. And I'm defining joy. Let me keep reminding us. I'm refining joy as feelings of gladness, of exuberance, of, I'm going to use the word, happiness in my heart that are not related to my circumstances. They come because they're Jesus' joy, and he's given it to me. And what a gift it is. Because when God gives you the joy, his joy, he gives you strength. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, it says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. And there's never a man or woman more weak than someone who doesn't have the joy of the Lord. And I would say something else. There's never a man or woman more, uh, more strong. That's not right English, is it? More uh, stronger. Thank you, Jamie. There's not a man or woman stronger, right? Who's not the man or woman who's filled with joy, right? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so when I'm filled with Jesus' joy, then man, when the circumstances are buffeting me, right? When they're buffeting me, there's just a strength about me. Strength about me. Jesus said, I've come that people might have life and they might have it abundantly. And I know some of you are thinking, man, Jimmy, you're hammering this point. Yes, I am. Jesus said, I, I have come that you might have life abundantly. And what does abundantly speak of? Doesn't it speak of joy? When you think of abundance of life, you're speaking of someone who's experienced an abundance of joy. Where do we get that from? Where does that joy come from? It comes from Jesus. He gives it to us. Here's my second question. Does the joy that Jesus give us come and, what, come and go? Does it go away? Is it meant to go away? Well, let's look again at verse 15. I mean, at verse 11 of chapter 15. 
And we have a textual variant here. If you're reading from a King James or a New King James, here's what the verse will say. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be filled. I mean, be full. Um, if you're reading from one of the older texts, and again, I'm not going to get off in the weeds here, but if you're, if you're reading from an older text, the word remain, the word meno is not in the text. It just says, Jesus says he wants his joy to be in you. But I'm telling you that both ideas are just the same. Jesus wants his joy to be in you. Present tense. He wants his joy to remain in you. Jesus wants his joy to be like a river that's flowing into your life, not, not a stream that can dry up when the circumstance around you bring its heat on, on your life, the joy dries up. No, it's meant to be a river that's flowing into your life and does not dry up. That's what God wants. That's what the Father wants. It's what the Son wants. It's what the Spirit wants. They want to give you a joy that you can experience always, forever, in every moment. Okay? So, remember this verse? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. We're to have this joy that Jesus gives us all the time. I learned something this week, or I relearned it. Knowing me, I probably relearned it. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Actually, that's the shortest verse in our English version. It's not the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. In the Greek New Testament, Jesus wept is three words. In the Greek New Testament, there's only two words in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, and I don't remember the character count, but there's one less character in Greek in 1 in Thessalonians 5.16 over uh, John 11.35. And do you know what 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says? Some of you are already looking it up. Rejoice always. So the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is not Jesus wept. It's not his sorrows. It's about rejoicing. It's about rejoicing always. Don't don't miss this. Jesus said, I want my joy in you. I want my joy to remain in you, the majority text says. And it seems to imply, doesn't it, that it doesn't necessarily have to be in you? Doesn't that seem to imply that? That you, you and I can actually lose this joy. We can not have this joy that Jesus has given to us. And I thought about this. What are some of the things that might rob you of joy? And there's probably an awful lot, but let me give you three. Here's one thing that can rob you of your joy. Disease can rob you of your joy. Sickness can take a hit on your joy. You know, this past week I discovered that uh, I got high blood pressure. I used to always say, I got AFib, but I got good blood pressure. I got diverticulitis, and I had a flare of that last week. I got diverticulitis, but I got good blood pressure. I don't have good blood pressure anymore. And I had a flare-up of diverticulitis, and I found out that my AFib is back, and I'm having hernia surgery on my birthday, right? I'm telling you, I lived a test case of this message this past week. (laughs) I, I really did, in the sense that, Lord, am I going to walk in your joy And I lost at pickleball the day after I found all these things out. So I think I really wasn't living it out right, right? Because it took a it took a hit on my uh, on my psyche or whatever. I wasn't walking in that joy. But but here's my point. My point is, man, illness and sickness and and man, those things they can take a hit on our joy. Because circumstantially, if your happiness is based on circumstances and you got disease, 
I'm telling you what, you don't feel very happy, right? But you can have feelings of exuberance. You can have feelings of gladness and happiness in your life if your joy is something that Jesus is, is giving uh, to you. When Paul spoke of his affliction to the Corinthian church, he said, man, I asked three times, and we, we think it's his eyesight, right? But he asked three times for it to be removed, and God said to him, no, I'm not going to do it. And instead, God spoke to Paul's heart. He said, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and if, I, if you'd allow me, I mean, would it be fair to say my, my joy is sufficient for you? Because what is grace? Grace is the word charis, which means gifts. Could it not be the gift of joy? The gift of joy is sufficient for you to walk in this really hard time. And sufficient for what? Sufficient to carry on in delight when everything around you is is hurting and and you're having pain. Paul's response was, so I take pleasure, a word similar to joy. I take pleasure in my afflictions for the sake of Jesus. So, uh, man, we've already seen how disease and sickness and illness has affected Several of us in our, in our body here lately. And, but, but I'm telling you, we can still walk in joy in the midst of sickness. Here's another one, difficulties. Difficulties and tribulations. They can rob us of our joy if we let them. Um, you know, and, and again, sickness is a difficulty, is it not? So maybe this is a distinction without much difference. But let's just say sickness or disease is one thing. Difficulties are all the other things, like your house burns down, your, your car gets destroyed, you lose your job, uh, your spouse walks out on you, your, uh, I don't know, man, we could just go on and on and on, all the difficulties in our life. We're going to have troubles and tribulation in this life. Jesus said that we would. He said, you're going to, it's going to get tough. You're going to have tough times. Um, but the apostle Paul said, I am exceedingly joyful in all my tribulations. I am exceedingly joyful in all my tribulations. So here's what he's saying. Difficulties don't have to rob you of your um, joy. doesn't have to, because Jesus gave it to you. You don't have to let it rob you. And so the same man who says this, what's he doing on the night? He gets beat up by the, by the local people. He gets beat up by the authorities, put in jail. What's he doing at midnight? Singing praises. Singing praises to God. Not letting his difficulties rob him of his joy. And then the third, and there's more things that we can say, but these are three biggies, I think, that rob us of joy if we let them. And then would be death. Death. Death robs us, can rob us of our, our joy. And... Um, so, but here's what the prophet Isaiah said about, about God. He said, God gives us the oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. That's what God gives us. And I think that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us his joy. So even when we're brokenhearted, even, even when we've had this great loss, man, they can have joy. They can let me have Feelings of gladness and feelings of happiness in my heart, regardless of my circumstances. Jesus told his disciples, 1620, truly I tell you, this is John 1620, truly I tell you, you will meet, weep and mourn, but in the morning will rejoice, uh, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to say, everybody, that, you know, when, when, when disease or difficulties or death hit us, that sadness isn't, sorrow isn't going to wash over us. I'm not saying that. But I'm say, what I am saying is that, that the, his joy is just going to percolate above those things. And if I let him, those feelings of, of just 
Gladness in my heart can be there even in the midst of losing all of that. Hebrews 10.32, the author of Hebrews says, talking about the believers, he says, Remember the early days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and other times you were, you were, you were companions of those who were treated that way. Then he says this, For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted the joy, with joy, the confiscation of your possessions. Because you know that you yourselves have a better enduring uh, possession. And he goes on to say, don't lose that. Don't lose that, that joy that you had in the midst of all of that. So their, their joy is sustained by Jesus. So Jesus gives us joy. He sustains us in our joy. Here's the third question I want to answer. What is, what is God's ultimate desire as it relates to his joy for you? Look at the verse. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Here's what, here's what God desires for every one of us in this room who follows Jesus. He wants us to have this, he wants us to be filled with joy, filled with Jesus' joy. Not just have a little bit of it, but to be filled with it. As I thought about this this week, I, I think people have told me I'm full of it. But no one's ever told me, Jimmy, you're full of the joy of Jesus. But I really wish that someone would. No, not just tell me that. You know what I mean? Being, 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 man, you're so filled with the joy of Jesus. It's, it's evident. No one's ever said that to me, right? That people have called me Eeyore. <laughs> people have called me Eeyore, right? So I, I want to be filled with the joy of Jesus. How about this verse? You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is fullness of joy. Man, we can have fullness of joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Here's another wonderful verse, 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you're not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice. You have joy with inexpressible and glorious joy. I mean, that doesn't say fullness, but I mean, it seems to imply fullness of joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Other things can bring you happiness, and they'll be fleeting, and they'll come and go. But if you have the joy of Jesus, he can fill you with that joy, and it can be, you can be full of it all the time. You can have joy from your money. You can have joy from your pleasures, joy from your family and your friends, and those are all good things. And I think God wants us to be happy in, in circumstances. I mean, he creates circumstances and gave us these emotions that rise up out of us out of, because of our circumstances. But here he's telling us we can have fullness of this joy, this, this feeling of, of gladness and goodness and exuberance and even happiness, if you would. We can have that because Jesus has given it to us. And it remains with us. It's like a river flowing in our lives. And he wants us to be continually filled with it. I want to suggest something to you that people are looking for what I have found. And I want to suggest that people are looking for what you have found. People are looking for what every person has found who's found Jesus as king. People are looking for that. And, uh, and, and what they're looking for is the fullness of joy. This fullness of joy that God wants to put in our heart. This shalom that surpasses all understanding. Final question and we're done. How do I receive this joy? How, how, do, I, how do I keep this joy? How am I filled with this joy? I mean, that's, this is the bigger question, isn't it? I mean, you all agree with me? Maybe some of you all agree with me on that last, last three questions or the answer, my, the answer to the last three questions. But how do I get this joy? How does it stay in me? Well, let's talk about that. Look at the verse. 
Let's look at the verse. It says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There it is. Do you see it? Do you see how to get it? I should say, Russell, come on down here and tell us. <laughs> how, how do I get the joy? There it is. I, I have told you these things that your joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You see it? Here's how we get it. Here's the secret to joy. I have told you these things. So it's not in the verse. It's in everything that precedes the verse before it, right? So what does he say in the verses before? He starts off in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Here's how, we find, here's how we get this joy and keep this joy. We look at his metaphor. He has a metaphor for us. Everybody would have understood the metaphor because grapevines were a big thing in that day and in that place. And he says, my life's like the grapevine. My father is like the guy who tends the, the vineyard. And then in verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he's using this metaphor. He's continuing on with this metaphor. And, and, and here's what he says. I want you to understand that my relationship to you and your relationship to me is like the relationship between a branch and the vine. And if you want this joy that I want to give you, that I'm giving you, if you this joy, and you want to experience it all the time, and you want to be filled with it, here's what you got to do. you got to be like the branch, and you got to be like the vine. It's simple. The branch lives... The branch grows, the branch bears fruit in only one way, and that is that it stays connected to the vine. If disease comes along, or wind comes along, or somebody walks by the vine and breaks off the branch, that branch is going to die. It'll fall off. It'll fall off in the yard. We'll rake up those branches and we'll burn them. And in the same way, Jesus says, I am like that vine, and you are like those branches. If you are connected to me, You have life, you grow, you bear fruit. But if you are cut off from me, if you're disconnected from me like the branch from the grapevine, what happens to to those branches is what happens to you. So here's the secret. Here's the secret to having the joy that we've been talking about. Feelings of, of, of exuberance and happiness in our life, even when circumstances aren't producing them. It's abiding in Jesus. It's staying connected to Jesus. It's remaining in Him. So here's three thoughts about that. Number one, it implies that I'm connected to Jesus, that the branch is connected to the vine, that I am connected to Jesus because the branch, if it's disconnected, it's dead. And so to remain implies association. It implies relationship. It implies touching. Theologians call this the, our union with Christ. And notice it's a mutual, it's a mutual thing. Do you see that? Jesus says in verse 4, remain in me and I in you. So it's both ways. It's kind of a mutual thing. If there's no connection, there's no life, there's no fruit, there's no joy. And it's amazing to me, and I don't, I don't want to be whatever, but it is amazing to me how people say, I'm connected to Jesus, but they have no association with Jesus or very little to no association with Jesus. Very little relationship, very little touching Jesus. Oh, but I'm connected to Jesus. I think the implication is, if you're connected to Jesus, there's a relationship, there's an association, there's, there's touching Jesus. Here's the second implication. It implies dependence. It implies dependence. This aspect of remaining in the vine 
It, and so the, the first thing's mutual, right? The connection is mutual. The, the vine and the branch are connected together. But in this thing about dependence, it's, it's a one-way street. The branch is dependent on the vine. The vine is not dependent on the branch. You are a branch. You are not the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're dependent on him. He's not dependent on us. The branch gets everything it needs from the vine. Okay, it, it, without being connected to the vine, it's useless. It can't produce anything on its own. Sap flows from the vine to the branch, the water, the minerals, the, the, every, the nutrients, everything that the fruit needs, it flows from the vine. It's one way, not, not both ways. We are completely dependent on the Lord Jesus. So in verse 4, he says, we can do nothing apart from him. We, we can't have peace. We can't have the shalom of God or the joy of God. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Verse 5. All right? It implies, and here's my third thing, it implies continuance. In fact, the word abide, the Greek word meno, remain, means to stay or to continue. The word is often used of where you live. I, I meno here. I reside here. This is where I am. And so this shows another aspect. There, there's a continuance of remaining in Jesus. It's not like I touch Jesus once or I touch him twice. No, I, I remain in him. I remain connected. There's an implication of connectivity to Jesus. And so I simply go on trusting and I simply go on depending on, on him. If you're following Jesus, listen, if you're connected to Jesus, if you're dependent on Jesus, if, if you're in association with Jesus or connected to him, then, then you, you can have this absolute assurance that you are his disciple if you persevere in, uh, in him. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31. He said, if you abide in my word, if you continue, you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So as long as a branch is connected to the vine, and the vine supplies what it needs, that branch will have grapes. And so as long as you are dependent and connected to Jesus, you, you can have this joy. I, I, do believe you, I do believe there is a responsibility on my part, right? The joy of the Lord is given to me, and it's in my heart. But it is my responsibility to to choose that joy, to walk in that joy. But he's given me the spiritual sap, the spiritual power, the fullness of joy. So I said we reside, we, we get his joy by abiding in him. I've got to just talk one more, one more question. It's kind of a follow-up nuance question. How do I do that? How do I remain in Jesus? And um, so here, here goes. Here's how you remain in Jesus. Jesus tells, him, verse, tells us, verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. We remain in Jesus when we let his love and we let his words fill our lives and we follow him in obedience. When When we allow him to richly dwell within us, his word and his truth, and we follow him, that's how we abide in him. There is no abiding in Jesus if you're not following Jesus. Everybody with me on that? There's no abiding in Jesus unless you're following Jesus. It's allowing the word of God to richly dwell in our hearts and allowing his words to renew us and revive us and shape us and sanctify us and fill us and form us. It means keeping ourselves resting in his infinite, enduring, sin-bearing, heart 
conquering, life-giving love. It's resting in him. So it's resting in him and following him. It's both of those things. That's how you abide in him. Now I know all this is nebulous, and, and I get it. It's really theoretical and not so practical maybe because I'm not, I'm not just giving us these practical, you've got to do this, this. And I don't think we should ever do that to anyone. Say, this is what you got to Because then it becomes this moralistic rule-keeping, and that's not what I'm talking about at all. But I've got a story that I think will illustrate what I'm trying to say. And this is a story I read this week uh, about, about the fullness of joy in the life of one lady. And I'm going to end with a story. So, and, and I remember when I was over there listening and not doing the preaching, I love stories. So this is going to be a great story. I think it's going to move you. But uh, William, William Lane Craig tells a story in one of his books. It's about a colleague of his named Thomas Schmidt. And uh, it's a story about abiding in the fullness of joy, okay? Schmidt would regularly go to nursing homes. I mean, I thought this, man, this tells me the world about Schmidt. He would regularly go and visit the nursing homes. He, he was, I think he says in here, as I read the story, I think he says he would go once or twice a week. And his whole purpose in going to the nursing home was to find people that didn't have anybody visiting them, and he would just sit down there with them, and he would visit with them and talk with them. So let me just pick up the story. This happened on Mother's Day. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few people who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. The hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs, and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped in a wheelchair. Her face was absolute horror. The empty stare, white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large uh, hearing aid over her ear told me that she was almost deaf. Uh, one side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was, there was a discolored and running sore covering part of, of one cheek, and it pushed her nose to the side, dropping one eye, distorting her jaw, so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old, and that she had been bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to Mabel. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in the hallway. But I put a flower in her hand, and I said, Here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke, and much to my surprise, her words, though somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know, I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one and stopped the chair, and Mabel held out the flower and said, Here, this is from Jesus. It was then that it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Well, there's where I got the once or twice a week. We went to see Mabel once or twice a week for the next three years. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense of what I was being, that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. 
And I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten different directions at once and all the things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel, what does Mabel have to think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and I asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote. And this is what she said. I think how good he has been to me. He has been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of people would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing the old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know. I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked. Minutes crawled. And so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without any explanation of why it was all happening. And she laid there and she sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible joy. And I'd like to say to all y'all, I think that Mabel had God's incredible joy. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with Mr. Schmidt that it's power, but, but it's, it's joy. Is there any person other than Jesus that could give Mabel that kind of joy and peace? Any power other than the power of the Holy Spirit to give a human being like Mabel this power to say, he makes me glad when I am sad? I mean, only God. The gospel, the good news, is that King Jesus wants to do the same for you and for me. If we'll let him. If we'll come to the vine, allow him to connect us to the vine. If we'll abide in the vine, you know, he will, he will give us what Mabel had. And what Jesus had, above all his companions, the oil of joy. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.